It was the sunny Tuesday morning that would, for generations hence, form a demarcation in time separating the world before that day from the world after. 9-11 is a story, singular. It's also tens of thousands of stories of civilians and first responders, of the survivors, of the fallen and crestfallen, of the devastated. At 8.46 that morning, Michael Hinkson was in a conference room preparing for a breakfast meeting when American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the World Trade Center's North Tower just 18 floors above him. He recalls the sound and the sensation of the entire building tilting from the impact, then writing itself. As co-workers scrambled to the exits, he asked a colleague to ensure that no one used the elevators. His own exit would be more complicated. Hinkson was blind. It was his responsibility to locate the stairs. Once there, the task for his guide dog, Rossell, would be to lead him safely to the street. There was tension, though surprisingly little panic in those stairwells, with stops to make way for burn victims. Small groups of first responders making their way up would stop to ensure that Hinkson and his dog would be okay. The crowded, hurried descent through smoke and debris would take an hour. Shortly before 10.30, as the calm yellow lab led Hinkson out of the building to a parking lot across the street, the South Tower collapsed. Quickly, Rossell led the two to a subway where they could escape the dust. Soon after, she led Hinkson 40 blocks to the safety of a friend's home. Rossell wasn't the only dog in the World Trade Center that morning. In one of the basement parking levels of the South Tower, the explosive detector team for the World Trade Center got word of the North Tower explosion. The team consisted of Port Authority Police Sergeant David Lim and his yellow Labrador Retriever, Sirius. Their job was to check all trucks that came to the Trade Center's parking garage. Memories of the 1993 bombing were still fresh. In that instance, though the building structure was unaffected, six were killed and 500 were injured. The blast cost $500 million in damage. A bomb-sniffing dog wasn't trained for rescue and recovery, so Lim left Sirius in his kennel and raced to the other tower to help, fearing the two of them had somehow failed to prevent a tragedy. He remembers telling Sirius he'd be back for him. Lim was on the fourth floor of the North Tower when it collapsed. Miraculously, all those with him, six firefighters and an injured woman, would be safely rescued five hours later. By the time that happened, Sirius had been lost, still in his kennel as the South Tower fell. More than four months later, on January 22, 2002, Recovery workers found the dog's remains still in his kennel. Sirius would be the one canine fatality in the tower collapse. By then, dogs had become an integral part of the 9-11 story. At Ground Zero at the Pentagon and in the fields of Shanksville, Pennsylvania, in search and rescue work, then recovery, as therapy dogs and as companions, 
Dogs will never be the story of 9-11, but for a select group of brave, magnificent, tireless canines and their handlers, their place among its heroes is secure. I'm Bud Bacone, and I'd like you to meet just a few of them. Living creatures are hardwired to run in reaction to danger. This is the story of those who run toward it. Fifteen minutes after the towers had collapsed, as Michael Hinkson and Rossell were hurrying to safety, a German shepherd dog named Apollo was being rushed to ground zero by his handler, Pete Davis. Apollo was a graduate of the NYPD K-9 Special Operations Unit, and now the first search and rescue dog on the scene. And he would very nearly die in those first few minutes. Apollo was stopped by falling debris and was soon surrounded by fire. Miraculously, he had fallen in a small pool of water moments before. With his coat soaking wet, he was led away from the flames unscathed. The head of the canine unit would later comment, We just brushed the embers off him and he kept working. What Apollo encountered that day, what countless dozens of dogs would encounter through the weeks ahead, was dubbed the Pile. Fifteen acres of burning hot, twisted steel, smoldering rubble, and air indescribably thick with smoke and toxins. For handlers and dogs, the work was dangerous and unavoidable. At nine years, going on ten, Apollo was as well-trained and hard-working as they come. After those first brutal hours, as the work of rescue gave way to recovery, his job was done. Despite exhaustion, the brave German shepherd dog simply refused to stop working. It would take three burly officers to remove Apollo from the pile. Some 300 dogs would work the site, each following Apollo's lead. Within hours of the attack, dog and handler teams found themselves New York bound. With no planes in the air, many faced a long drive. One such team included Brittany, a two-year-old golden retriever and her handler, volunteer firefighter Denise Corliss. It's a common vocation for a search and rescue dog handler. A firefighter's training prepares them well for a range of dangerous search and rescue environments. Brittany and Corliss had only recently become a FEMA-certified canine team, now deploying with Texas Task Force One. Once at the pile, they would spend 10 arduous days searching through the 1.8 million tons of wreckage. Dogs, such as Brittany, aren't born to this specialized work, but many are bred to it, as dogs have been for generations, and some for centuries. Last season, we took you to the mountain pass in the Alps, trod by pilgrims bound for Rome. There, 8,000 feet above sea level, monks at the great St. Bernard Hospice conscripted large dogs to help rescue those overcome by the elements. Over two centuries, it's believed the St. Bernard dogs rescued upwards of 2,000 travelers from lost children to Napoleon's soldiers. Through the 19th century, the world's gentry brought new popularity to sporting dogs, and dog training became, for some, a science. 
You were also introduced to the Devil Dogs Marine Unit in World War II. Dobermans trained, among other things, to detect the enemy's presence. But even before that, in World War I, the Red Cross had deployed thousands of dogs for frontline duties. Among them was Caesar, a New Zealand-bred bulldog whose handler was an ambulance driver. Along the Western Front in France, Caesar would help locate wounded soldiers. On his back were saddlebags holding supplies of water, rations, and writing materials. Other dogs acted as scouts and carried messages. Many, including Caesar, were killed in action. With each war, each disaster, the need for highly trained dogs became more evident. Following the attack on Pearl Harbor, for instance, canine fanciers shifted their attention from dog sports and focused instead on obedience training. New organizations were formed to promote national defense work and rescue training. Most people were already inside at work here when the blast ripped the nine-story federal office building apart, shattering floors... In 1995, when a terrorist bombing shook Oklahoma City, 74 search-and-rescue dogs were deployed to scour the rubble. The injury and danger inspired a support system for the dogs, much of it provided by kennel clubs. Portable bathtubs were procured. Local groomers volunteered to clean the dust and debris off the dogs' coats as the handlers rested. Special leather boots were obtained to protect paws. Dog food was donated. Veterinarians volunteered their services. The women of one kennel club spent three nights sewing beds for the tired, sore dogs. So many of the lessons learned during that horrible spring day in 1995 would inform the response on that September Tuesday six years later. Within the rubble at the Pentagon, searchers noted a wet campfire smell tainted with fumes of jet fuel from Flight 77. Fire had prevented search and rescue teams from entering until the morning of the 12th. More than a dozen dogs would work the site. Among them was Sage, a border collie who would go on to work the aftermath of Hurricanes Rita and Katrina before her deployment to Iraq in 2007. In New York, as work on the pile slowly, sadly shifted to recovery work, new problems emerged. As dogs made fewer discoveries, handlers feared they might start to lose focus. Impromptu hide-and-seek games were organized among dogs, handlers, and first responders to keep the dogs sharp and motivated. Meanwhile, handlers, dogs, and their support teams employed vital lessons gleaned from Oklahoma City. A sort of veterinary mash unit was constructed. One vet reported treating more than a hundred dogs in those first few days, though often the treatment was preventive. Thousands of Americans stepped up to help, including the AKC community, which provided an x-ray machine and medical equipment on site. One AKC supporter covered 100% of the medical expenses for any dog injured in the rescue effort. Strict attention was given to ensuring that dogs were well-fed and hydrated. Eyes were gently flushed with a saline solution, which oddly also kept the dog's noses clear. Protective dog booties were issued, especially useful in a red-hot, smoldering environment. The toughest need to meet 
was rest. Dogs and handlers worked long, grueling hours, and in a few moments stolen for a break, a call often came from somewhere on the pile, a dog was needed immediately, and with that, the break was over. More often, it was a working dog who would signal the need for workers. Such was the case of Tracker, who, with handler James Symington, were the inaugural members of the Halifax, Nova Scotia canine unit. On Wednesday morning, Tracker alerted his handler to a spot in the mountain of rubble. Workers saw the reflective part of a jacket. There they discovered Janelle Guzman, a Port Authority worker. She'd been trapped in the collapse with 15 co-workers as they tried to evacuate from their office on the 64th floor. Reaching what she believed to be about the 13th floor, she stopped to take off her heels. At first, she thought she had lost her balance, and suddenly the walls and ceilings collapsed and the stairs disappeared beneath her. When Tracker helped discover her, Janelle Guzman had been trapped and immobile for 26 hours. The rest of her workmates perished. She was the last survivor rescued from the pile. Now, the more you watch one of these remarkable dogs, the more you can appreciate the work and commitment that goes into selecting the right dog, then training for both dog and handler. Which is why, in 1972, Bill and Jean Syratuk founded ARDA, the American Rescue Dog Association. Their mission was to serve as a governing body for various air-scenting rescue dog operations. And before you ask, an air-scenting dog detects a scent without its nose on the ground or against objects. Typically, these dogs are trained to detect the scent of any human rather than a specific individual, which leaves them well-suited to helping locate lost hikers or for combing wreckage in a disaster. A 1975 article on ARDA, when the organization was still a pup, described their early recruiting criteria. The dog must be a healthy and eager German Shepherd dog of either sex. It must undergo obedience training to the equivalent of CDX, confidence training to experience all possible situations, and of course, search training up to all day searching without losing interest or endurance. The German Shepherd dog was selected because of its appropriateness under all considerations. Size, endurance, love of work, coat, disinterest in wildlife, image, availability, etc. Perhaps the most important qualifications for a search and rescue dog are sound body and mind and lots and lots of heart. Adding, The same qualifications could perhaps be applied to the handlers. CDX, or Companion Dog Excellent, means a dog has met a standard of obedience most humans might find challenging. In 2007, Arda broadened its standards to allow any breed of dog, noting that suitable candidates often include Labrador Retrievers, Border Collies, Belgian Malinois, and Golden Retrievers. Training a handler and dog might take anywhere from six months to two years. Still, so much depends on the individual's personality. A search and rescue dog must believe her handler is more interesting than birds and squirrels or a dozen other dogs working at a disaster site. It must be a tireless worker and agreeable to all manner of dynamic situations such as riding in a helicopter. 
A border collie might need to pass a sheep test, sitting passively as a flock is paraded past her, proving that her training has neutralized the instincts she was bred to. In a sense, the working dogs of Ground Zero were of service even during breaks, serving as companions, comforting their exhausted handlers. For many others, there was Nike, a golden retriever trained as a therapy dog. As workers took desperately needed breaks, certified trauma responder Frank Shane would introduce them to Nike. She became what Shane described as a transitional object, helping pull people away from the emotional burden of their task. Dog trainer Cindy Ellers had traveled to Ground Zero with Tikva, a therapy dog trained for crisis response work. At the behest of the Red Cross mental health team, Tikva would spend time with workers too stressed to speak to human therapists, including a firefighter who later called to say, where are those comfort dogs? They're the only things that get me through the day. Like her search and rescue cousins, Tikva was highly trained. She needed to be. Therapy dogs accustomed to visiting hospitals and nursing homes could be easily overwhelmed by the stress levels near the pile. The power of dogs to soothe the troubled soul is long known. Many know well the legend of Smokey, a four-pound Yorkshire Terrier credited with being the first therapy dog, cheering wounded soldiers on the islands around New Guinea during World War II. Yet it was following the events of 9-11 of Iraq and Afghanistan that therapy dogs came to be valued as health care specialists. Still, the inability of some dogs and their handlers to face the intensity of emotions served as a caution and warning light for therapy dog organizations. Many have retooled their training to ensure that handlers and dogs are better prepared for a range of tension-charged circumstances. The heroic work of those few hundred dogs and handlers has since inspired new generations of canine search and rescue teams. Their value has been on view time and time again through hurricanes from Katrina to Sandy to Maria and Harvey. They were hard at work in Haiti following the 2010 magnitude 7 quake and there again for the 7.2 magnitude quake in the summer of 2021. The more dogs teach us about their capabilities, the greater their role in all manner of urgent work. And of those 9-11 dogs, Dr. Cynthia Otto of the University of Pennsylvania set out to find how these dogs fared in the years following those long days sifting through hot metal and concrete, the air thick with smoke and toxins. Dr. Otto had heard all manner of conjecture about the death rate of the dogs who worked at Ground Zero and the Pentagon. Rumors that the work of 9-11 killed most of the working dogs, or that dogs perished in high numbers from this or that illness. So she set about a rigorous follow-up study of the dogs of 9-11. The findings were a welcome surprise. Contrary to expectations, Dr. Otto's report showed that dogs who worked at 9-11 sites enjoyed the same longevity as search and rescue dogs who weren't there. Tender mercies. This feels like an appropriate last stop. The sidewalk outside an animal hospital in Cypress, Texas, 
June 6, 2016. Here, a golden retriever is led oh so gently from a car and begins a labored walk toward the front door. Lining the walk are two dozen men and women in uniform, search and rescue workers and volunteer firefighters. The golden retriever is Brittany, no longer the energetic, newly minted search and rescue dog who worked those ten desperate days on the pile with handler Denise Corliss. After 9-11, Brittany and Corliss had gone on to work in the aftermath of Hurricanes Katrina, Rita, and Ivan. Retired at the age of nine, Brittany continued to serve as a goodwill ambassador at the local firehouse and working once a week as a reading assistance dog at a local elementary school. Now at 16, four years beyond her breed's typical lifespan, her kidneys failed, and unable to eat, she had come to say goodbye. As Corliss leads her carefully along the walk, those in the honor wall salute as one, in tribute to the last surviving canine worker of 9-11. In this 20th year since 9-11, we assume yet again the heartbreaking privilege of remembrance to victims and to those who held the most dear and to heroes who brought rescue, healing, and comfort. To the ordinary people who did the extraordinary, we celebrate their names, and to those, may we humbly add names such as Riley and Abigail, Orion, Bailey, and Tracker, Merlin, Brittany, and Moxie. A few of the hundreds of extraordinary canines who rescued and comforted, alongside brave handlers, search and rescue teams, and recovery crews. Down and Back, stories from the AKC archives. Visit akc.org to learn more about all things dog and find bonus materials for this episode. Follow the AKC on Instagram at American Kennel Club. On Twitter at AKC Dog Lovers. And let us know what you thought of the show. Founded in 1884, Many dog years ago, the American Kennel Club is the recognized and trusted expert in breeds, health, and training. We advocate for responsible dog ownership and are dedicated to advancing dog sports. Research for Down and Back provided by the AKC Library and Archives, the only national repository dedicated to the sport and enjoyment of the purebred dog. Learn more about the collections at akc.org library. <laughs>